Hey, everybody. Welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of MileMarker. My co-host is Judd Mackerel, co-founder of MileMarker as well. Connected is a show about the people and technologies that are shaping and building the wealth management industry. More people than ever are searching for great financial advice, and more firms than ever are trying to figure out how to scale their operations to serve those who are searching for their advice. We believe that better connected technology provides the space for better connected people, which leads to better advice. Welcome to Connected. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Connected. I'm your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of MileMarker. And today I have the privilege of being joined by Dave Allison. Dave is the founding partner and president of C2P Enterprises, and he is the founder and CEO of Allison Wealth Management. Dave was recently recognized in Investment News 40 Under 40 for his incredible accomplishments in our industry that we're going to talk about today. He's a family man. He's generous with his time and his advice, and he is a heck of a fisherman. Uh, Dave, did I miss anything in that intro? No, you got the most important part at the end. Uh, I love it. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, too, in this conversation. But thanks so much for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. I would love to just start by hearing how you got into this industry. I've, I have found that everybody's journey into the wealth management or financial advice industry is a different one. So tell us about how you got started in this. Yeah, definitely. Well, I've always had you know a, a total passion for the stock market, for investing, for finances. Undergraduate degree in finance, kind of uh, right when I went to college, I knew this is what I wanted to get into, this industry. I didn't know quite what area of the industry I wanted to get into, but I knew I wanted to be kind of in investments. And so I remember it was my senior year in college, it was approaching spring break, and I had applied for a job as a fund analyst at Raymond James. And so their headquarters was down in Tampa, St. Pete area. I had flown down there. My dad was living in, in the Tampa, St. Petersburg area also. So he picked me up at the airport. I threw on my suit. You know, I drive over, get dropped off at Raymond James by my dad. Look at kind of these these towers that they have. I walked in and interviewed as a, a mutual fund equity analyst position. And when the interview was over, my dad picked me up and he said, hey, I have a client who has a kind of financial advisory practice and office about 30 minutes north of here. I need to go see him. Do you want to come sit in on the meeting? And I was like, well, not really. What are my other options? He said, well, your other options are you can stay in the car, but my air conditioning is broken and it was like 85 degrees and I was in a suit and tie that day. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll go on in with you. And so long story short, I went into uh, you know this client of my dad's and it was a gentleman who was an advisor. He had started to build up a national insurance marketing organization, kind of financial services organization teaching advisors how to incorporate tax preparation into their business as a way to get out there and market and kind of build their practice. And I remember I was sitting in the, in the meeting with my dad and him and my dad are talking about some marketing stuff. And uh, my dad was kind of in the marketing agency side of things. And he looked over at me and he said, so what are you doing down here? I said, I'm a senior in college, degree in finance. I had a job interview with Raymond James. And he said, doing what? I said, being a, a mutual fund analyst. And, you know, he kind of said, do you want to learn how to make a lot more money? 
And of course, I was 21 years old, right? College kid. I was like, well, you know, that sounds appealing. What do you have in mind? And he was like, well, we're, we're kind of building some things. We're growing nationally. I need good people. Why don't you come on, move down here and work for us? You'll be uh, basically commission only, but I'll hook you up with a really great mentor and you'll learn this side of the business. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, thanks, but no thanks, like commission only. It's total deviation from being an equity analyst. I remember getting back to the college campus, sitting around thinking, like, what do I really have to lose? Like, I could move down to Florida, move into my dad's house, really have no expenses, give this a shot. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, Raymond James and everyone else is always going to be hiring and I could go become an analyst. And so long story short, I did that and... uh I showed up to work, you know, kind of met with a couple other advisors and, you know, they gave me the old phone book and said, you know, start dialing, start trying to set appointments for us. And uh, just kind of grinded my way out through my early 20s, learning kind of every aspect of the business, both, you know, kind of sitting down with a gentleman, Joe Salerno, who was kind of an early mentor to me as an advisor. He's actually one of our top advisors at C2P and with our RIA today which has been kind of cool that to, to see that come full circle. But then also as they were growing, you know, outside of the retail advisory space, bringing on advisors around the country, they started having me uh, recruiting and calling advisors and convincing them to join the organization. And so kind of gravitated into uh, a bigger role doing a lot of that, working with financial advisors, recruiting them, helping them incorporate some of the value added that we were doing through tax preparation and marketing and product selection and implementation. That is an incredible story. I love the part of what, what are my options? And it's like you could sit in a baking car, you can come sit in this this meeting. What what an incredible story. And that's a, that's a cool way of how you got into the industry, man. Yeah. You know, it just shows you, you never know what's next. There's so much merit into just you know, kind of putting yourself out there and, and meeting people and learning their story because you never know, you know, the interse intersection of what's going to happen from there. Uh, speaking of learning their story, one of the things you mentioned in there, you all do a great job of this at C2P and everything, but it was that you kind of got into starting to recruit advisors to come to the office. And I think this is a, a big topic in our industry right now because there's all kinds of conversation about inorganic growth, whether it's acquiring firms or bringing them in. And it seems like there's a lot of what I would call micro platforms being set up. So it's, you know, everybody knows about the high towers and the mariners and the dynasties, but there's all of these sort of regional ones that have maybe a couple billion on platform and they're starting to grow through recruiting advisors. But I think what's an interesting challenge and unique challenge is how do you differentiate, right? How do you get someone to actually come and join your platform, right? Everybody's got, you know, investment management, they've got technology, they've got this. And, you know, it sounded like you all had an interesting story, but from where you sit, somebody's having to do this all the time. Like, how do you actually get an established advisor to come and join your platform, your company, you know, and, and get them to show up and come contribute to what you're doing? Yeah, it's a great question. And it is. There's so many different options out there. And like one of the things that I share with firms when when I'm talking to them about C2P or just kind of what the the next progression for their business and their career is, is, is really just like, where do you align the most? So I feel like it's C2P, for an example, as a platform, we've built kind of a very specific niche. So I feel like where we do really, really good work for advisors is 
for kind of advisors who fit into this niche of what we've built as kind of a value proposition for them. And so like one of the things that we've really done a lot of soul searching around is what we call our three uniques at C2P. These are kind of three things that we feel we do better than anybody else in the industry. Number one is our holistic approach to advising with our proven process for how we take a client through the financial planning engagement process and then wealth management implementation. And that's the bucket plan for us. And we can talk a little bit more about the bucket plan in a little bit because bucketing has been around forever. We did not create bucketing, but we built a very succinct four-step process around our bucket plan process. And then the ideas, the strategies, the solutions that we execute and implement. So again, as a firm, we believe in both an investment and an insurance approach to holistic advising, bringing both sides of those together. So of course, we're doing fee-based investment advisory business. We're utilizing solutions like annuities, life insurance, long-term care, disability, so that we can connect the dots between both of those areas. And then we're really overlaying it with proactive tax management and advisory solutions. And so, again, that's kind of one of our differentiators is the bucket plan. The second for us is our what we call our tax trilogy. And so we've doubled down at uh, incorporating taxes into the wealth management business. And when we talk about taxes, we look at it kind of in a three-prong approach. Number one is we teach wealth management offices how to incorporate tax preparation as a value-added service to their wealth management clients. Because let's face it, like our clients are busy, successful people. They don't want to get bounced around from professional to professional trying to put all the pieces together. And so again, tax preparation is a service that we teach wealth management offices how to build and incorporate in. The second is tax planning. So again, utilizing tax planning as kind of a value add resource to engage and you know help identify opportunities for the clients to potentially reduce not only their taxes each and every year but their lifetime taxes and then third is tax management this is where we actually take that tax plan and then we proactively implement and execute on behalf of the client and so again our tax trilogy tax preparation tax planning tax management and then the third of our uniques is our advisor career path. Because, you know, as an advisor, we're in the service industry. There's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many, you know, days in a week. And so we are capped at how many clients we can individually serve as an advisor. So the way to grow is you got to remove yourself from that advisor role and kind of step into that CEO role. And one of the biggest challenges that advisors going from an advisor role to a CEO have in growing their businesses. How do you bring on that next generation of talent? How do you bring on other advisors? How do you groom those advisors into becoming rainmakers for the firm? And so we've built out a advisor career path from client service associate to paraplanner to advisor to lead advisor, ultimately to practicing partner for an advisor to be able to hire and bring team members on and then essentially turn them over to C2P to train those 
individuals on everything they need to do within each one of those rungs of the career path to become successful. And so I always share with advisors, like if those three uniques don't resonate with you, C2P is not a good fit. But if those three uniques resonate with you, I feel like we're a really good competitive platform to essentially be a home for you as an advisor. And so you know, I know there's other firms that have different uniques and specialize in different things. And I think for an advisor, if they're looking for a true home and a true partner, it's all about alignment at the end of the day. You got to align with the firm that can do things that you want to do and can provide resources that you need for your clients and for your business. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I, I absolutely love that. I think my first reaction is, I think a lot of firms probably gloss over the importance of a process and the importance of having something really digestible like that. You know, they might be really great at selling or delivering advice or planning, but if you want to bring other advisors in, they have to see like, how is this a systematic process that's different than what I'm doing today? And how does it actually speak to me? So I, I love that. The, the last portion there that you were talking about, advisor career path, I think is interesting because Michael Kitsis recently came out and said, you know, one of the hardest things for an advisor is when you get to that point where you're growing your business, you've got all your clients, but now maybe you've got seven or eight employees and you're straddling this line of being an advisor to 150 or 200 clients and managing eight people. Those are both two full-time jobs. And you sort of have to decide, do I want to go be a CEO and manage people and help them be successful? But so many people get into this business because they want to help and serve clients, not because they want to go try and build some big business. So how do you guys help people through that sort of process? Is that like a mental thing you talk through when, when bringing them in? Yeah, there is in a certain way. And I think, you know, one of the big uh, kind of issues that that tends to happen is you mentioned the word management, right? And like, is management really the right role for that CEO or that advisor? Now, I know, you know, there's a difference between management and leadership. Any CEO needs to be a leader. But, you know, the question then comes into is, is management the best use of their time? Or should they go hire a good manager in their business, right? Like, I think what starts to happen is if you've grown the team to six, seven, eight, nine people, maybe that CEO needs a good COO, right? That can be the manager so that CEO can stay in the role of thought leadership, vision, rainmaking, business development. And so I think it's all about understanding what responsibilities each person in the firm has and then who the strategic hires are to get you to the next level. And so, you know, we always kind of look at kind of two frameworks of people within the organization. There's an individual contributor lane, and then there's a manager lane. And if you have somebody who is a rock star individual contributor, you might not necessarily want them to go into management because it really stops the production of what they're able to deliver as an individual contributor. And so... Again, I think that's a big area to think about how you build out your, you know, what strategic coach would say, your unique ability team around you. I think the biggest area that I've heard like advisors that they, they say like, hey, I don't want a big ensemble practice because I don't want to have to manage a bunch of other people. Maybe that's really kind of thinking inside of a box of the reality of it is as a good leader, as a good visionary, as a good kind of strategist, maybe you aren't the one managing people. Like I look at my partner Jason's business, JL Smith Group, 
Now, I think they're up to maybe 22, 23 people in his retail practice. They'll bring in about $150 million of new assets under management. They've implemented every one of these programs C2P teaches. And Jason doesn't have anybody report to him. He's not managing anybody, right? He's the visionary of the firm. And he fills the role of business development out there networking in the community and attracting new clients to the firm. But management, there's other people in the firm to do that. Incredible. I love that. I think there's a lot of people who are going to benefit from that. Then working backwards through the the tax trilogy, you you talked about tax preparation. I wanted to just dive into that for a second. So is C2P, do you have like CPAs on staff that you help people with this? Or are you saying, hey, your firm should install a CPA into your firm? Or is it, hey, partner with CPAs and we have a networker, you know, because that's not a core competency of a lot of wealth managers. So when you say, hey, you should do tax prep, I imagine the response is, yeah, sounds great. I'm not a CPA. How do we do that, Dave? Yeah. So there's really kind of three ways to look at that. You can buy it, build it, or borrow it when it comes to tax preparation, right? Let's start with build it, right? That's what I did at Allison Wealth Management. We have tax professionals that work for the company and they do the returns for our clients. And so the nice thing about that is I own the business. I have complete quality control over the client experience. And it really just kind of brings that value up under the enterprise that I want to kind of be able to control and run, right? It's not outsourcing my success to somebody else. The other option for firms, and this is what the traditional industry does, is they borrow it, meaning they partner with an existing accounting and CPA firm. And there's trade-offs to doing it, right? The positive is you don't have to run the operations or hire the people to build a tax preparation service. The other side of the coin is you lose quality control, right? Like you don't know what that other tax professional office is delivering to your clients. Does it meet your standards? Are they looking and trying to seek out the right opportunities? Are they aligned with the vision and the goals of the company? And so again, you just have to weigh those trade-offs. And then the last piece of it, again, for our bigger offices, our more entrepreneurial ones, ones that can go deploy capital is buying practices. There's a lot of CPA and tax firms that are kind of aging, that don't have succession plans. And so, you know, as an advisory firm, if I can go buy a tax business that has five, 600 tax clients that are ideal potential candidates for the wealth management that we do, there could be great synergy in just going and rolling up tax businesses. And so we help advisors navigate all three of those different paths, depending on what's best suited for their business. Again, like going into my example, you know, we're more of a kind of at Allison Wealth, a high net worth boutique firm. You know, we don't have hundreds and hundreds of clients. And so for us, to be able to offer tax preparation internally as a value add. We don't want our clients to be like a ping pong ball getting bounced around to different places. I always kind of joke that the highest net worth families in this country, you know, they have one family office to do everything for them. And that's really the approach that we've tried to scale to, you know, the middle class millionaire, somebody who's got a million bucks to 10 million bucks really bring that holistic approach together. That's amazing. Uh, And I think there's a ton of value in that, you know, either one, if an advisor wants to come work with C2P or 
or just, you know, from them listening to this, because I do think taxes are a huge part of your wealth management picture, your story, and making sure, I mean, you hear the stories all the time about advisors and tax prep, you know, folks going back and forth, trying to help each other out. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the way you laid that out. I think that's great. And then working our way back to the first one, you talked about holistic planning. I wanted to ask you about this as, as it is. You mentioned it a little bit in the, in the intro, but you know, you all do obviously fiduciary financial planning. You do the investment allocation, but you also talked about insurance. I think you also have a TAMP that, that you all work with as well. I mean, you're, you truly are holistic. I think C2P has, you know, spans the gamut of, of sort of every offering on the menu for a firm. How did that come to be? Is it a quality control thing like the tax prep? What, where did you guys come from and why did you structure it that way rather than just doing what a lot of firms do, which is, hey, we're fee only planning AUM, uh, line it up, knock it down? Yeah. You know, a big part of kind of our passion is to simplify holistic financial planning. And, and I feel like it's really hard to be a holistic advisor if all you're doing is one avenue of what the client needs, if you're just doing investment advisory business on an AUM fee-based percentage and you're not incorporating maybe the protection products that the client needs, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And, and I think that is the differentiator of C2P. I think we're one of the only firms that I know of that requires every office to be insurance licensed and investment advisory licensed within the office so that they can help the clients with all of their needs and be able to look at the bigger picture and not have the client get bounced around from one professional to another professional. So yeah, we've kind of built that approach and brought it all together. And a lot of it was essentially, to your point, out of necessity and quality control. I mean, where I spend the vast majority of my day is analyzing strategies, products, and solutions to make sure our advisors are equipped with industry-leading, essentially, uh, products or, or strategies so that they can execute whatever their clients need. And that could be things like, of course, model portfolio management to more boutique custom strategies on the investment advisory side, to analyzing different annuity products or life insurance products or long-term care products, all the way through the range of financial planning to things like securities-backed lending or anything that, that essentially could benefit our clients as they go through their own financial planning journey and, of course, all the tax stuff on top of it. And so, yeah, we've tried to just curate this overall platform that gave advisors one home to be able to operate and deliver what they need to deliver to act in their client's best interest. And again, just like our clients don't want to be a pinball going from professional to professional, me as an advisor, I don't want to be a pinball having to go from firm to firm to firm trying to put all this together. We've just tried to create kind of that home at C2P that an advisor can, can access all of this information without getting bounced around. I love that concept of simplifying holistic planning, because I bet if you asked most firms, they would love to offer all of these different things to their clients and to their advisors on their platform. But the reality is it's difficult because there's not sort of one piece of technology that offers all of it. You know, you're having to string together a lot of things. So it's like, 
on paper, yeah, let's simplify holistic planning. Sounds great. But then in the execution of it, it, it can get really, really difficult. And, and there can be some serious headaches when it comes to that. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I, honestly, that's what kind of led us to the journey with MileMarker and, and your team and what you're doing for us. I mean, we just had a meeting. I, I just shared with you with, with a couple of your team members, Judd and Ben, this morning. And it was like, we identified 32 different softwares that we're using within a retail wealth management business and kind of connecting to a platform provider like C2P that we need to figure out how to streamline, how to integrate, how to create efficiency around. And so it is, it's, it's more complex, but the reality of it is, I think the wealth management business is continuing to become more and more competitive and more and more commoditized. And advisors need to have kind of a, a strong value proposition to continue to remain relevant and stay ahead. And when I think of holistic wealth management, I think there's five core pillars to holistic wealth management. There's financial planning, there's asset management, there's tax management, there's protection planning, and then there's legacy planning. And so everything that we do when it comes to supporting holistic wealth managers is really focused around connecting those five big pillars together. Awesome. Incredible. Uh, I love the way you have so many of these things kind of like frameworked out. You have, you know, your, your three uniques, you have these five pillars. I mean, it's awesome to see how you have structured a lot of this to make it really clear and to be able to articulate it well. That's, that's cool. I'm sure you've probably put a lot of work into that. Yeah, I mean, well, half the battle is communication, right? A confused mind takes no action. And, and we see that as financial advisors. When we're sitting down with clients, the more jargon we use, the more 200-page financial plan reports we use, the yeah. more confused the consumer is. And so you have kind of simplicity as the ultimate sophistication. And it that's what it's all about. It's kind of defining your value proposition and being able to build the communication strategy in a way that it just, it's like, ah, that makes sense. I get it. So, you know, whether it's kind of the five pillars of holistic wealth management or our three uniques at C2P and where we focus our time on, we spend a lot of time packaging processes, tools, and communication for advisors to be able to use with their clients. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication is a mic drop moment. I love that. And uh, yeah, that's that's great insight. So speaking of that, I want to pivot a little bit to, I, I would guess it's Allison Wealth Management, but you talked about the bucket plan earlier. And um, this is actually one of the things that I've known you for even before we really started to work together is uh, you're kind of synonymous with the bucket plan, with bucket plan training. So yes, it's been around for a long time. I know you didn't invent it, but I feel like you, to, to use a restaurant term, you elevated it. You guys have probably taken it to the next level. So want to, you know, just take some time to hear you talk about that. Like, what is the bucket plan? How have you made it unique? How have you elevated it? Yeah, and you're dead on. I mean, it's been around forever. When I think of bucketing in general, to me, it's like asset allocation 101. I go back to Roger Ibbotson, right? And the three asset classes, cash, bonds, and equities. Like, that's kind of bucketing, right? Cash, yep. now bucket. Bonds, soon bucket. Equities, later bucket. You know, and so when we think of bucketing, essentially how it arose, again, out of my, my business partner, Jason, he authored the book, The Bucket Plan, but, you know, in his retail practice, JL Smith Group, he was essentially just kind of whiteboarding with clients quite frequently. He'd have actually three boxes drawn on his whiteboard and he'd 
place the client's assets into each of those buckets. So, you know, the now bucket was just the client's money that was safe and liquid, that they wanted off the table from risk. And, you know, let's say a client had $100,000 that they wanted off the table from risk. He'd put that in the now bucket. The soon bucket was money that they may need or will need to access sooner rather than later. And because it has a short time horizon, they want to take on less market volatility. And so he would kind of sketch out how much money the client would need in their soon bucket, maybe to kind of last the first phase of retirement. And then, of course, last but not least is the later bucket, the money that the client's willing to accept market volatility to try to grow as much as possible. And he'd put in that box how much of the client's money they wanted there. And then he'd subtotal it up and circle it. And and I remember he shared with me, and this is going back like 15, 20 years, one of his clients sat back and said, hey, those look like buckets. I've always had a bucket list, but now I have a bucket plan. And like I remember Jason being like, I almost fell down like thinking of the simplicity of that. And so it changed from three boxes to three buckets, but... The gist of it is simplicity for the client to actually understand. And that's what bucketing does. Time segmenting money based on the purpose, based on the time horizon, and then being able to map certain strategies, products, and portfolios to achieve the individual needs of each of those buckets. Now, what C2P has done is we've actually built a planning process around it. And so if you've ever read the book, The Bucket Plan, I believe US News just ranked it one of the top 10 retirement planning books of 2023. But what you'll notice in that book is there's actually a process that the advisor takes the client through to actually build their bucket plan. It's a four-step process, discover, design, deliver, and dedicate. And so That's what we've been focused at C2P on teaching advisors. We have a two-part training. 1.0 is the foundation. It's the blocking and tackling. It's how do you take the client through some of the core tools and concepts to actually build out their bucket plan? And then typically advisors come back for our 2.0 training, which we call the holistic planning process. This is where we teach advisors how to charge a financial planning fee on the front end of the engagement to go through the process. The client goes through the three steps, discover, design, deliver. We deliver their holistic plan to them and hopefully they see value in implementing that plan with the advisor and step four, dedicate is that ongoing wealth management model and the five pillars of holistic wealth management. We've kind of taken this philosophy of bucketing but we've built turnkey training around it so that as an advisor wants to hire others as part of the career path, everybody's running the same process and doing things the same way. That is awesome. And I, what, I, what comes to mind when I think about that is to be able to have something simplified to that level, you have to have mastery over something to be able to do that. And so I think that is, that's really cool. So, you, you know, you have the, the client facing version of the bucket plan, but then now you've, you've rolled that up to, hey, advisors, here's our bucket plan approach on how you can deliver the bucket plan. I think that is that's super cool because because you're, you're right. Most people who are coming to the wealth management industry don't have a passion for this. Most of them are saying like, I'm really good at this thing I do over here. I don't want to think about all of these things, but I also want to understand what you're doing. 
And I know that was my wife's big thing when we were searching for advisors and everything. She said, look, Kyle gets all of this, but I don't. Can you talk to me and treat me like somebody who needs to be educated and you won't talk down to me or you won't make me feel inadequate because I don't know a lot of the words that Kyle knows or you know any of that sort of thing. And, and the people who can do that well are the ones who I think are winning because that's most of the world. It is. And again, it's that simplicity. A lot of people kind of make the assumption that even, you know, high net worth have a lot of sophistication behind wealth. And in some cases they do, but in other cases they don't. And it's, it's interesting. I just was brought in on a joint case with one of our advisors. So part of my role at C2P and at Prosperity Capital Advisors, our RIA, is when our advisors run into a client that's a little bit over their head, you know, they bring me in and, and I typically focus on clients 5 million to 125 million of net worth. And so this advisor brought me in to kind of help construct this plan for a 71 year old, 28 and a half million was with the wirehouse. The trustee who is a CPA was involved in every meeting because there was a lot of trust work, irrevocable trust, slats, just all kinds of advanced planning. We did kind of a very meticulous job in, in the value proposition and how we would structure this client's investments. But the deliverable to this client was the bucket plan. We laid out his three buckets, a now bucket, a soon bucket, and a later bucket. They totaled $28.5 million. And at the end of the meeting, the client sat back and he said, you know, Dave, my biggest takeaway from this meeting is I've never seen my assets organized in the manner that you just did with the bucket plan. I love this because it's something that I can go and take to my wife and she will understand also. And so again, it kind of brought that commonality in that language and the simplification of this incredibly complex financial investment and estate plan into three simple buckets. Yeah, 100%. And I still feel like there's so much opportunity for that. So, you know, I got my start in this industry working for, they were called Riskalyze when I was there, Nitrogen now. And that was the big unlock for me was the risk number was just a way to create common language around a very difficult to discuss topic, right? And we had such subjective language and they created something that said, now everybody knows we're talking about the same thing, right? We're not looking for three different definitions of moderate or moderately aggressive or any of those types of things. And I know people have different thoughts about that, but the whole concept of how can you take a very complex idea, which it has to be complex. When you're looking at all of those trusts and all of that stuff, there's no way to make that simple. It is complex. But then you can boil down the delivery of that to a really simplified common language approach. That is, I think, the, the secret sauce to high growth in this industry. Well, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not customized or tailored to the client. Like I always use the Starbucks analogy, right? No matter what Starbucks I go to in the world, I am going to have a very common experience from a process standpoint. But I think I, I read in a book recently, Starbucks has over 8,000 different ways you can get your coffee, right? That's a lot of customization. That's a lot of tailoring the cup of coffee to me, the individual. The bucket plan is very similar, right? Whether I'm working with a retiring school teacher who has three or $400,000, or I'm working with a Silicon Valley executive who's got $75 million, they're going to go through the same process, discover, design, deliver, dedicate. They're all going to have three simple buckets of money, a now bucket, a soon bucket, and a later bucket. But 
what happens behind the scenes, all the analytics, the products, the strategies, the portfolio management, that's going to differ between that $75 million client and that $250,000 client. But it's the same fundamental process that we go through. Uh, incredible. We can talk about this for hours, I'm sure. But I want to move on a little bit. So you actually just mentioned Silicon Valley executives. So I know that that your business actually happens to have an office out in Palo Alto, but you don't live there, right? So you you have an office in Palo Alto. You serve a lot of clients that are Silicon Valley demographic, you know, maybe tech entrepreneurs or tech executives, things like that. But you built that business living in Cleveland and now Charleston, South Carolina. Don't those people with really complex situations want you to kind of be in and around the neighborhood where they could come and sit down with you? Or what, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I... I was speaking on stage for years and years about how I kind of felt that clients were going to seek out the best advisor for them, not the best advisor in their community for them. And I remember sharing this and, you know, there's an old guard of advisors in our industry who everyone's face to face, all of their clients are in their community And they would kind of laugh at me and be like, that's not how this way, you know, there's no way you're going to get a 65 or a 70 year old high net worth client to move all their life savings over to you through Zoom meetings. And so, you know, in 2018, I opened up Allison Wealth Management and there was kind of two genesis for that, like having it out in Palo Alto. Number one, my brother is in the area. He had his own tech company in New York City. And about 13, 14 years ago, he got acquired by Facebook at the time, which is now Meta. We had a lot of opportunity from a financial planning perspective, uh, just kind of in the family, right, to figure out that transaction. Uh, At the time, Facebook was not a publicly traded company. The deal was an all pre-IPO stock. Long story short, I think we all know Facebook and Meta, the company's worked out. It's survived over the last 12 or 13 years. But, you know, during that time period of kind of running this holistic approach in the bucket plan, I remember my brother sharing with me that he, he kept saying, Dave, you need to open up an office out here in Palo Alto because there's so many people just like me who are making a fortune in the tech industry, but they don't have anybody providing this holistic approach. They said, we have people approaching us all day long to sell us stuff, private equity, angel investing, life insurance salespeople, this and that, you name it, right? But nobody was really kind of bringing this holistic approach to wealth management that could really specialize in taxes, tax management, investments, equity compensation, And so we opened up the office fully virtual. I was living in Cleveland, Ohio. We signed up for like a $200 Regis location. So we had, you know, an address and a phone number. And we started doing some marketing online about, you know, my niche, which is equity compensation, stock options, incentive stock, non-qualified stock, RSUs, which is, again, how everybody out there is compensated for the most part. And yeah, we built the business over Zoom and through meetings. And the objective was, hey, if they wanted me there, I'll jump on an airplane. Like it's a four or five hour flight. We're not that far from each other if we need to see each other. But I felt like the skill set and the value we could bring at Allison Wealth was what they needed. We kind of plugged along and, and started having quite a bit of success bringing on high net worth clients in that space through Zoom. And then COVID happened and it just blew up. It became the commonplace for everybody to do everything over Zoom. 
you know, that really kind of accelerated things. And I felt like at C2P, we were one step ahead because I had been doing fully virtualized meetings for almost three years when COVID hit. And we were able to train all of our advisors how to embrace this virtual world and all the best practices of doing Zoom meetings, when to use a tablet, how to do sketches, what tools and templates to show, how to provide deliverables to clients. And so, yeah, it's been kind of really interesting. And and obviously, kind of the rest is history from there. But that's how we kind of got started out there. And it gave us the freedom. And I talk to my clients all the time about, you know, the the, the money is just a means to achieve the, the goals and objectives you have in life. And, you know, my wife and I, we wanted to get out of Cleveland. We wanted to move down to Charleston, live by the water so I could have a boat in the backyard and, and fish every day. And again, it doesn't matter necessarily where our clients are and where our business is because we're so fully connected through technology And it's funny, I've been out to Palo Alto twice this year in February and in June. And a lot of our clients, when I'm like, hey, I'm going to be in town. Do you want to come by the office? They're like, no, we're good. We don't need to come by the office. They were like, if you want to go get a beer or go get dinner, we'll go do that. But like, I don't want to drive across town, find parking, come into the office. They're like, I want to see you though. Let's go hang out. So I think the business aspect of what we do can be done anywhere the relationship side of it is a little bit different. Yeah, that's 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 huge. Two quick things out of that. So with people who have high concentrated stock, uh, whether it's RSUs, whether it's stock options, I think those are inherently complex. We just talked about the bucket plan for a while. So I, I would love to hear you talk just a little bit about how do you allocate high stock concentration planning with the bucket approach? Is it, you know, same thing? Like, hey, we're going to take a portion of these options and put them in the soon bucket and in a delayed bucket and all of that. Or, you know, it, I, I feel like that is not nearly as simple as just I'm um, dollar cost averaging into these vehicles and we're going to put them into each of these. Stock options and RSUs are inherently complex from a tax perspective, but also from a timing perspective. So how do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great point. It, again, it kind of goes into how do you want your cup of coffee made, right? Kyle, you guys do a lot of work with Snowflake. One of the early, early employees of Snowflake is a client of mine, for example. Like when we were doing his stock options, his stock grants were at 26 cents a share. I mean, think about what Snowflake IPO'd at, right? For the first three, four years of our engagement, all of his stock was in his later bucket and we were building incentive stock option exercising strategies along the way. Well, at some point after the IPO and the releases, you know, he wanted to be able to start diversifying some of this massive position. And so a chunk of it moved into his soon bucket as we started divesting of it. Some of it went into a donor advised fund in his soon bucket that supported his charitable endeavors. Some of it he still keeps out in his later bucket to kind of be bullish for the long haul on it. And so everything's a little bit different depending on the life cycle and the phase of the company. You know, we have companies or clients that, you know, more big mature tech companies where they get their RSUs every quarter or every month. And we just automatically sell to diversify because they don't want to build more concentration in their company that they work at. That's kind of a soon bucket. And then part of it might go to fund their lifestyle. Part of it might go to be reinvested out in their later bucket. We have other clients who are doubling down on their company. Um, And so all their stock sits out in their later bucket and they really don't have any of it in the soon bucket. So this is the conversational framework that we help guide our clients through in the decision-making process. You know, that is 
part investment management, part tax management, part behavioral management, because in a year like 2022, we had a lot of clients that lost 50, 60, 70% of the value of their company stock. And then obviously in 2023, we've seen some of it roar back, but some of those companies haven't come back at all. And so it's it's just the risk reward I always share. And it's I joke and I say, this is my cheesy financial advisor line for you here, but you get rich through concentration and you stay rich through diversification. And, yes. you know, they they laugh because I kind of make fun of myself for saying it in the, um, but, but it's the so truth. Good. So good. I also feel like that's just so collaborative, right? Because I think one of the challenges a lot of advisors run into when they're doing option or RSU planning is it sort of feels like, they're telling you what to do. And if you if you don't fully understand what it is, you can almost become adversarial, right? Of like, hey, this is what I want to do with my stock. And the advisor's like, no, this is the right thing to do. And it doesn't feel nearly as collaborative. It's like, well, what bucket do you want this to be in, right? And uh, so what, what you're saying is there's some people who are saying, we're going to leave this in later for a really long time because I have, I'm so bullish on this. I believe it's going to continue to be good. I don't want to mess with it. And you have other people who are saying, no, let's start diversifying. Let's, you know, let's take some risk off the table. That's so collaborative rather than the advisor talking at the client and almost trying to tell them what to do, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, you know, I share my financial situation with my clients quite frequently. You know, I'm an open book if they ever want to see. And the reality of it is, like, I look at my personal financial situation and I'm very over-concentrated in company stock, the companies that I own, C2P yep. and Allison Wealth. And it's no different. Like I'm betting on concentration to build wealth. At some point in my life, maybe I'll take some chips off the table and diversify. But, you know, so much is to your point, it, it, it's really educating on the trade-offs of every decision that clients have. And that's the one area that we focus on at Allison Wealth and what I teach at C2P and how we interact with other advisors at C2P and their clients is there's no right or wrong decision for most of the things that are involved in financial planning, but there's trade-offs of every decision that we make. I learned a while ago, like, hey, there's a lot of Apple clients of ours that just don't want to sell their Apple stock. And if they listen to me and I tell them to sell their Apple stock and Apple still goes up 30%, 40%, they're going to be like, why did you tell me to sell this? You know, it's all about educating and trade-offs. And that's so much of the bucket plan. It's just an educational framework for clients' decision-making. All right. As we start to wrap up here, I want to move into something that I like to call beyond the bio. So we've talked a ton about C2P. We've talked about planning, the intricacies of that. And I've loved that conversation. But I also want the audience to get to know Dave a little bit outside of what he does as an advisor or helping RIAs. When researching for this, I, I saw that you volunteered with Junior Achievement and you taught either some, some middle school or elementary school kids economics. And I think that's a fascinating story. I'd love to hear about what it was like to teach such young people about economics. Yeah. So I, I actually started working a little bit with Junior Achievement all the way back in college. So that was kind of my first kind of exposure to that organization and going in and teaching very simple, simple, simple principles of economics to, I think at the time it had to have been maybe third graders, fourth graders. I can't remember, but it's interesting. I mean, I think that there's so many people out there who don't have great financial literacy and awareness and it can wreak havoc on families, like the stress, the anxiety that it can cause. Um, so it's it's definitely a great organization. At C2P, we partnered with Junior Achievement and a lot of our internal team, a lot of our advisors kind of got out there and, again, shared this knowledge and education. And, 
And I see that as such a great kind of opportunity, even at C2P, like my client minimum for a a client is $5 million now. And it's really just because of time capacity. Now at our firm, we have an office again in Atlanta. I have another advisor in Boston at Allison Wealth. Like the firm minimum is a million dollars there. But again, there's just such a big opportunity to get out and impact the entire country and quite frankly, the world. And that's what we see like these knowledge products that we're creating at C2P being able to do, whether it's, you know, very simple concept of teaching people a now, soon and later bucket or Kyle, I'm not sure you're aware, but uh, about two and a half years ago, we launched a children's book with the author of Dr. Zeus, actually, after Dr. No Zeus passed, she, uh, he handed the baton to, to, to Tish Rab, and she's taken over and, and the book is called It's Always Sunny for Bunnies and Money. And it's about three buckets and how these three bunnies, one of them named Dave, it needs to learn how to give, save and spend. And so like, there's just such a cool opportunity to get out there. And like, we send those books to all of our grandparent clients to give their kids. My kids run around with the book and, and they love it. Just, you know, fun story about bunnies and setting up kind of these three buckets of money, what you need to give away, what you need to save and what you get to go spend. And that is why we asked this question, because I did not know about that book. And I think that is incredible. As somebody with four young kids myself, I think that's a, a really, really cool thing. And it's a great way of kind of giving back like you're talking about. You may be capped at how many clients you can serve, but you can still do things that help so many more people outside of the, the four walls of your business, which is really, really cool, Dave. So last question, we, we talked about fishing a little bit, but, but not enough. I know you're a huge fisherman. You moved to Charleston to be close to the water. I kind of want to just give you an open book here to say, what is your best fishing story? Everybody loves a good fishing story. What's, what's off the top of your head, like comes to mind, best fishing story for Dave Allison? Oh man, best fishing story. I don't know. I don't, the best ones are, you know, the first thing that I was thinking of when you mentioned fishing is your business partner, Judd. I feel like every time Judd and I go out fishing, something happens and we don't catch anything. So um, <laughs> I feel like I always talk about and show all these great pictures. And then like every time he steps on the boat with me, it's like we get to the end of my creek out to the water and it's like a giant rain cloud comes over us or something. So uh, that was the first thing that just popped to mind just because I had a meeting with him this morning and then chatting with you about it today. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's the way I disconnect. I, I, you know, so much of my time and energy, I'm always trying to, you know, research and advance my knowledge in taxes and investments. And my one kind of getaway is when I get out to the end of the dock, it's, it's just purely me in the water and disconnecting. And so I challenge everybody. I mean, for me, what I found leading up to the pandemic in 2020 is, my whole life got so centered around work. Like mm. it was, it consumed me. It took away from like my family. Kyle, to your point, I have three young daughters. Uh, one will be seven, one is five, and one is 21 months. And uh, that was kind of a part of this big lifestyle change of me moving down to Charleston, South Carolina, is to be able to really find an outlet to back away from some of the work stuff and bring more balance. And, and you know, fishing and my three girls are, are the two biggest components of that. Absolutely. A perfect way to end this conversation. Uh, everybody, as much as this conversation with Dave has probably helped you create some insights to build your business and to simplify the way you communicate and to work better with clients, make sure your life isn't completely centered around work and that you're connecting with the people that you love and the hobbies that you love. So Dave, thanks so much for being on the show and having this conversation. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it, Kyle. Thanks for all you guys do. 
you so much for listening to this episode of Connected. This podcast is brought to you by MileMarker and it is produced by Turncast. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps us and our show. And for more information about MileMarker and Connected, visit us at milemarker.co.